The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. What a great opportunity for all of us who are God's people here to gather together again today, whether you're here in the room or whether you're out in the commons area or if you're joining us online. I hope that today that you are expecting something from God's Word that's going to stir you up that's going to cause you to possibly make a decision to change, to grow, to do something different than you've done before, to put some applicable truth into action. So for that reason, I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad you're with us. Today we're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about when you pray. We've gone extensively through how to study the Bible as far as training ground is concerned. Today we're going to deal with when we pray. So if you're a note taker, you can write that title down, when you pray, not if when you pray. And the Bible doesn't talk a lot about prayer specifically. In other words, doesn't talk about necessarily the how-to, the nuts and bolts. A matter of fact, there's a lot we don't understand about prayer. There's a lot of things that we just don't get when it comes to prayer. Maybe a lot of questions that we all have surrounding this idea of prayer. But we definitely see a lot of people praying. We definitely see people that are crying out to God. We see people that are calling out to Him in the midst of trials and challenges. We see people praying to Him and giving prayers of thanksgiving when things are going great and they're in awe of how amazing God is. We see prayer as a key focal point of the believer, and we see that prayer was a big piece of Jesus' life as well. Jesus taught on prayer very briefly, and that's kind of where we're going to camp out today in a passage that is known as the Lord's Prayer. And if you grew up in church, maybe you grew up hearing the Lord's Prayer or reciting the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to look at that model and a few other things that I hope will help you grow in this area of your faith. So if you have your Bible, go over to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to look at this in context. So we're going to start over in verse 1. And we're going to see what Jesus was teaching and why Jesus was teaching it. So let's look over at Matthew chapter 6 at verse 1. Jesus says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray... Go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Look at the context here in which Jesus was addressing the issue of prayer. He's bringing to light the motives and the intents of people's hearts, the focus. And he does this all throughout his ministry and especially in this portion of scripture. It's God's way of saying, I see who you really are and what your real motives are. You can fool everybody else. We can do a really good job of fooling anyone in this room with our motives because we can only see so far. We can't truly see what another person's agenda is or their true motive is. We can only see what they do, and we can only really hear what they say. But we can't peek inside and look at their heart. We can only deduce. We can only try to discern. And sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes we assume incorrectly. Sometimes we discern incorrectly, and we make improper assumptions and improper judgment. Sometimes we get it right, and sometimes we don't. But every time God looks at us, He looks right at the heart. He looks past the thing that we're doing and he looks at the intent and the motive of why we're doing it. And he's not impressed with our words. He's not impressed with our actions. He's not amused. I remember hearing a pastor tell this story years ago and it always stuck with me, made an impression on me. He said that his daughter had been doing gymnastics for you know a couple of years and had gotten pretty good. And she always wanted to show her dad her flips and her tricks. And he says, well, I love my daughter, and I'm definitely entertained by the fact that she can do these somersaults and these backflips. He said she would come in the living room, and she would want to do these somersaults and backflips and say, Daddy, watch me. Daddy, watch me. Watch me do my trick. And he's kind of thinking to himself, I've seen you do this before. I know you can do it. You can do it really well. And I would, you know, really kind of, you know, not just want to just see it again to just tell you, oh, that's so great. But yet she did it over and over and over again. And he said, to the point to where I just kept seeing her do this stuff. And he said, at first, I was really impressed. He said, second time, I was like, okay, you can do that. Third, fourth, fifth time, okay, I get it. You can, you can do this. And she kept saying, daddy, daddy, watch me. Daddy, daddy, watch me. Daddy, daddy, watch me. And those of you who have had little kids or maybe have little kids, you know exactly what this guy was talking about. And then he said, eventually, he was like, okay, honey, why don't you go to your room and play? You know, he's trying to read the newspaper or, or watch the news or whatever the case may be. And so she goes off into her room and plays, and then the next thing she, he knows, he hears her scream out differently. And now it's not, Daddy, watch me to do my trick. It's, Daddy, Daddy, help. And he leaps up out of the chair, and he goes to see what's wrong. And she had done something in her room to where she had actually hurt herself, and he picks her up, and he holds her in his arms, and he loves her, and he kisses her and tells her that it's going to be okay as she's crying. He said, now, the difference between the response of the heart of the father was the heart behind the cry to get my attention. He said, when she was just wanting to show me her trick and show me what she could do, he said, I was interested, but not really interested to captivate my attention all day. He said, but when I heard her cry out in her need, he said, I stopped everything and I immediately ran to pick her up and hold her. Isn't that a picture of the heart of God? We think we can entertain God with our tricks. We think we're like, hey God, look at what I'm doing. I'm here, it's Sunday. And we have this view of God. Hey, look, God, I read my Bible. 
Look, I got a check mark on my, on my Bible app that I completed another devotional. It's good, right? And God's like, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's right. But he's not impressed with us doing these things. It's not the thing that gets God's attention. But yet we have this idea, just like that child, that this is the way to get to the heart of God. That if we just do this, that we can get God's attention, we can get what we want And it's a wrong motive. It's a wrong intent. But yet when we cry out to God from that place where we say, Daddy, Daddy, Father, I need you, just like that little girl, man, it begins to move the heart of God when we begin begin to authentically and genuinely cry out to him. And here we see Jesus reiterate this same idea. He said, listen, when you give, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the people that sound trumpets. Like he said, these people were legitimately sounding trumpets. We just received offering a few moments ago. What if when you put your offering in, you had a little trumpet underneath your seat and you picked it up and you just went, that would be really weird, wouldn't it? But Jesus said, that's what these guys do. He said, they're sounding the trumpet. They're trying to get attention to say, look what I'm doing. And are trying to get that attention even when they pray. He said they stand on the street corner and they begin to say these big long prayers and recite these phrases over and over again that sound really spiritual. And Jesus said they're just getting attention from other people. They've gotten their reward. Their reward is that they were seen by men. It didn't really move the heart of God. It was just us doing our tricks saying look at this thing that I can do. And God is saying, yeah, I'm not impressed. God's looking at the heart. So Jesus said, when you pray, you need to look at praying like this because I see who you really are. And Jesus wasn't giving all of us a formula. Jesus wasn't giving us some sort of thing to just say that makes us look or feel spiritual because that's defeating the context of Jesus' teaching when he taught us to pray. If we think that the Lord's Prayer is just something that we're supposed to just recite and something we're just supposed to say because it's what you do, just because that's what Christian people do and that's what we're supposed to do in church, you're missing the point. And you're actually doing what Jesus was teaching to not do. He's teaching, don't just say these things just to say them. Don't just say these things just because I'm in a Christian environment and I guess it's time to do the Lord's Prayer or I guess it's time to receive communion or I guess it's time, as David shared earlier, just to sing a song and go through the motions. No, there needs to be something different. There needs to be something genuine, something authentic, something that is moving the heart of God because he sees. You can't fool him. I don't care how good of an actor you are. I don't care how good you can sing. I don't care what big words you know. Heck, you might be a walking thesaurus. You might be like the dictionary of prayer. You might be like the best at it, okay? And you can come up with all these crazy, you know, college-level words that blows everyone else's minds with how you pray. Maybe you've got some Greek you throw in there. You throw in some scripture just to show people that you know scripture too. And it's the same thing that Jesus was saying about the hypocrites. He said they're focused on themselves. They're trying to make themselves look good. They're trying to appear more spiritual. They're trying to exalt themselves above other people and get other people to look at them. And he says, if that's what they're after, if that's their goal, then that's the reward they get when people go, that was a good prayer right there. It's one of the weirdest things. Can I just be real with you, okay? As a pastor, 
as a pastor, it's one of the weirdest compliments you ever get when someone comes up to you and tells you that was a really good prayer. I've been practicing. <clears throat> I've been practicing. No, no, no. It's not something I rehearse. It's not something as a Christian I practice and, and try to try to just, just improve upon and I need to get better at my praying skill. No, no, no. I, it's conversational where I'm talking to God. No one's ever come up to me and complimented me on how I talk to my wife or my children. Wow, you're really good at talking to your kids. Man, the way you talk to your kids, I've never seen someone talk to their kids that way. It's fantastic. Good job, buddy. I've never seen anyone talk to their wife that way. That's fantastic. Man, you, you use English really well when you, you know, engage with your wife. And she uses English really well back. Man, high five. Good job. No one's ever complimented me, but, but people have complimented me on, on praying. And I, I think it's weird because I don't look at prayer as a performance. Are you hearing me today? And neither does God. Okay? That may be the best thing you take home from this teaching today is that God does not look at prayer as a performance, and neither should you. And so Jesus says, this is how you should pray. This is the heart behind praying. This is what we should do. He gave us a really simple model, and he said, pray like this. He said, like this. This is a model. This is an example. I want to teach you how to pray. And I think he wanted us to have the right intent and the right focus. So when you pray... You need to have the correct focus. Let's look at verse 9. Jesus said, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Have that right focus. Jesus wanted us to, to start off praying, being focused on God and how holy that he is. Not how great our, word, our words are. Not how uh, well we, we wax eloquently. Not how well we can orotate scripture and, and impress other people. No, it's actually supposed to be us focusing on how great God is, not how great we are. So we want to magnify God, and we want to we say, God, you are bigger. And I've been even trying to grow in this myself, because so often when we go to pray, we immediately want to jump into our need, right? How many of your prayers start off with like, oh, God? And you're not saying like, oh, oh, God. You're saying like, oh, God, help me. And we immediately go to our need. And Jesus didn't teach us to immediately go after our need. Instead, immediately go after how big God is. That's the first thing we need to do when we are talking to God. Oh, God, I, I approach you today because you're awesome. And, 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 I, and I can come before you boldly, Lord, because you are great. You are amazing. You are your love, your truth. Thank you so much for how you've taken care of me, how you've given me another day. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you. If we start off with that gratitude and that, that thankfulness and we start off with the correct focus, I believe that helps put our heart and our mind in the right intention that will please the Lord. Too many people are scared to pray. Because they're worried about not getting the words right. <laughs> we don't have that same fear in talking to other people because we're afraid we're going to get the words right necessarily as much. But we do when, when we pray because we're so performance-driven in our society today that we look at prayer as a performance. We've got to get away from this. 
If you don't take anything else away from this teaching today, please, please take this one truth away. That prayer is not a performance. You are not getting judged on a 10-point scale as if you were doing figure skating in the Olympics. It's not you accomplish the triple axle of prayer and you get like a 9.8. No, you're not supposed to be judged on this thing by other people. And other people may criticize, other people may judge and go, oh, wow, that person must have just got saved like five minutes ago because they're not the greatest at the prayer. And that will hold you back if you let it. But God never wanted it to be something that held you back from talking to him. Do we criticize babies for not being able to talk proper English? When they go, dad, 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 dad. Nope, that's mom, you moron. (laughs) Is that what we say to a baby? No, we would never do that. You'd be a jerk if you said that. We don't. When when little kids get the words wrong, when they don't do everything just perfect, do we go, well, man, I'll tell you what, this kid, I can't wait till they can talk right because, man, they just cannot get this English thing down. No, they learn. Just as a, a baby Christian, someone who's just coming to Christ, they're learning to talk to God. You should not criticize or make fun of another person's prayer. You should not judge them. You should let them pray. You should, you should agree with them, encourage them. You should model for them how to talk to God with ease and with comfort and help to disarm the fact that they may already feel a little uncomfortable, especially, listen, especially as husbands and wives. Husbands and wives, man, we we share a lot of of who we are that we don't share with anyone else. And that's the beauty of that covenant relationship of marriage is that we can share things with one another that we can't share with anyone else. And we should be able to pray out loud for one another. Hello, somebody. You will bless your spouse if you will pray for them out loud. I appreciate the thought prayers and the thinking the good thoughts towards my spouse. But man, nothing blesses her more than to hear my voice praying over her. And that will bless your spouse and strengthen your marriage and take your marriage to a whole new level. If before you guys go to sleep, man, turn the TV off. Put the book down. And just hold hands and pray for one another out loud. Bless one another. Pray for each other. Just pray your, whatever God puts in your heart. Whatever you desire God to do for them, pray for them. But man, have that correct focus and stop worrying about getting things right or wrong. The focus is more important than getting the words right. And remember, Jesus was teaching the disciples how to pray, not what. There's nothing wrong with reciting the Lord's Prayer. I'm not knocking reciting the Lord's Prayer. But that wasn't the point of Jesus' teaching here. Before you begin to acknowledge your problem, what if you started off, as Jesus instructed us to, by magnifying God? Let me ask you this question. Does a magnifying glass make things larger? No. Does it? Can I put a magnifying glass on something and all of a sudden it does like this Ant-Man thing where it like grows bigger? No. It, can, can I like take the magnifying glass and all of a sudden it, it, it takes something small and just enlarges it? No, it helps me to see it bigger, but it doesn't actually physically alter the size of the thing that I'm magnifying. When you magnify God, it doesn't make God bigger. God's already as big as he's going to be. It makes him bigger to you, though. 
It makes you able to see more of God. And the more that that lens gets filled with God, the more I magnify him, the less of everything else that I begin to see. The less of the distractions, the less of the negativity, the less of that challenge, the less of that obstacle, the less of that thing that's causing me anxiety because now my view is so filled with how big God is that nothing else, there's, there's no room for anything else. That's what praise and thankfulness and magnifying God, it's not just a church word when we say let's magnify the Lord. No, it's us saying let's literally, it, let's literally completely cover our view with how big God is in contrast to whatever we may be going through. Let's start off that way. That's where Jesus wanted us to start. Our Father who's in heaven, man, hallowed holy is your name. You are holy. You are huge. You are big. You are awesome. I just want to magnify you, Lord. I want to get my viewfinder filled with nothing but you before I even dare come to you with any request because I want to remind myself of who I'm talking to in the first place. I want to remind myself of how great you are, of how big you are, how awesome that you are. Take a moment before you take any request to the Lord and tell him how big he is. Tell him how great he is. Tell him how awesome he is and watch how your view just gets filled with God. And watch how it begins to temper your heart. Watch how it begins to temper your motives. Watch how it begins to kind of chisel away at selfishness. It begins to chisel away at pity for ourselves. It begins to chisel away at all that because now you're talking about God. Now you're magnifying him and he inhabits the praises of his people. Your words of praise about the holiness of God are like that magnifying glass. The second thing that we need to do is when we pray, we need to ask according to the will of God. The next portion of Jesus's model prayer was to ultimately ask that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In verse 10, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He wants us to be reminded that our existence is ultimately about the glory of God and that our existence here on this earth is for the kingdom agenda of God. And we want God to be glorified and for his will ultimately to be accomplished. That should temper my request. That type of prayer weeds out selfishness and helps our hearts to grow and to view God as God and not Santa Claus. Amen, somebody? 1 John 5 and 14 says, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, that he hears us. So Lord, I want to know. Some, some things I can see clearly in scripture. I can, I can see the heartbeat of God. I can, I can see the desire of God, and I can pray those things, but there are some things that, man, Lord, I, I don't know what you want to do in this situation, but God, help me to be content. Help me to find joy. Help me to find peace. Help me to deepen my trust in you because, God, I want your will more than I want that thing to turn out the way that I would like for it to turn out. So, God, I want your will. I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven because your agenda is more important than my agenda. We must stop treating prayer like glorified wishing. Can we stop doing this? I want us to stop treating prayer like glorified wishing. We're really bad about this because I've been guilty of this, and I know probably all of us have at some point or another, where we use the word pray instead of hope or wish. Oh, man, I, I just really pray that promotion comes through. Man, I, 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 are you really praying or are you saying I wish? Are you saying I hope? 
Are you just interchanging the word pray? Or are you actually praying? We use those words interchangeably in our dialect, just like we use the word love interchangeably in our dialect for other things. Oh, man, I love pizza. Really? Like you love pizza? That's weird. You don't love pizza. You really enjoy pizza. But we use these words, and we throw them around. And, and, and I get it. It's just common language. But, man, let's be careful when we begin to throw around this idea of prayer. Oh, man, I, I, I really pray you guys have a, have a good trip. Are you actually praying that you, this person has a good trip? Or are you saying, man, I hope you guys have a good trip? Are you actually praying, or are you just using the word pray? Because we need to be more intentional with this prayer thing. And make sure that, God, I want your will to be done, not just wishes to God. God is not some kind of fountain at the mall that you throw quarters in. And you just hope to get your thing if you just ask and wish and hope. No. The expectation from prayer should be that God gets the glory. That should be your expectation from prayer. God, I want you to get the glory in this situation because my life, I want my life's purpose to be for the glory of God. I want to enjoy you, Lord, forever. And I want to live in light of eternity. I want my life to show you. So, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, not just wishes to God. we got to get away from that. And listen, when you tell someone that you'll pray for them, what do you think I'm going to say next? Yeah. Yeah, 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 do it then. Because we're busy folks, and I get it. And we have a lot of good intentions. And man, I'm grateful for good intentions. I'm grateful that people care about one another, even online, where someone will say, hey, will you pray for me? I'm, I'm, I'm having this situation or this thing, or I have something I, I would like for my, my Christian brothers and sisters to pray for me about. And you go, oh, yeah, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. Are we really? I mean, are we really, or are we just saying that because that's the Christian response. It's almost like a, a knee jerk, a reflex, you know. Someone has something going on, oh, I'll pray for you. I'm a Christian. But did you really, like, did you actually stop, take time and pray for them? Or did you just say that? Because if you're just saying that, you're not doing anything. God doesn't go, hey, thanks for saying you would pray for them, but not really do it. That's fantastic. And you can get in the habit of this. This is the scary thing, is that you can get in a habit, a bad habit of this. There's a, there's a word for this. It's called lying. <laughs> we can actually lie to our Christian brothers and sisters. Uh, we're not trying to be evil. We're not trying to be manipulative. Nobody's trying to be evil here by saying, I'll pray for you. There's good intentions behind that. But if you don't do it, if you don't follow through, then your good intention is meaningless and you're training yourself to just have an automated response and zero follow through. And let me tell you, there will be weak Christians and weak churches full of people who don't follow through when they say they're going to do something. So if we say we're going to do it, even if it's online, because I mean, I see that all the time. People say praying, praying, praying. Really? Like, are we really praying? And if you are, thank you. But if you're not, then I want to challenge you. And I want to tell you, we've got to stop doing this thing where we tell people we're going to pray for them and we don't. We've got to, and if it means you pray for them right then and there, then man, that's what you do. Get in a good habit 
of praying for people when you tell them you're going to. And if you're not going to pray for them, don't, don't say it. I would rather you not tell them you're going to pray for them if you aren't actually going to do it. I would rather you just not even say anything. I know your intentions are good. I know you want them to know you're a Christian and that you care about them. But if you're not going to pray, don't tell them that you're going to pray. But if you are going to pray, then tell them. Set a reminder on your phone if you have to. I don't care. And if you tell someone you've been praying for them, that doesn't mean you've been thinking about them. They appreciate you thinking about them. But have you been standing in the gap of, uh, have, you been, have you been interceding for them? Have you been actually lifting them up before the Lord? Or have they just been in your thoughts? If they've just been in your thoughts, say, man, I've been thinking about you guys. And I've had to do that sometimes to try to help myself to get out of those bad habits. I've had to tell people, man, you know what? I, I almost told that person I've been praying for you, but I'm not sure if I have or not. I need to say, hey, man, I've been thinking about you a lot, and I'm going to pray for you. Wouldn't that be better to say than I've been praying for you when you haven't? I mean, come on. we got to get away from this form of godliness but no power. We're supposed to be people of power, people of prayer. We're supposed to be people who, who are caring for each other and, and being people of our word. And so listen, we've got to actually start doing it. Even if you just say, God, I want to lift this person up before you. And I pray you meet that need. I pray your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, God. And that you would show them how big you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Even if you just take just, what'd that take, 10 seconds? Come on. Let's follow. Let's follow through and be intentional. Amen, somebody? The next thing that Jesus told us to do is that when you pray, acknowledge God's provision and acknowledge your need. Because he says here in verse 11, to give us this day our daily bread. We recognize that he is the provider. We're asking him to give us sustenance. We're asking him and recognizing that he is the source, that he's the provider. You see what's happening here? We haven't even asked God for anything yet. Isn't this crazy? As you look at this model prayer that Jesus gave us, we haven't said, hey, God, by the way, I need you to do this yet. We've just said, God, you're huge, you're big, you're awesome, I want to magnify you. Lord, I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, God, and thank you for being the source of everything that I need. Give me what I need today, Lord. You are the source, you're everything. We're just constantly pointing to how big and how awesome God is. And what do you think this is doing in our hearts if we pray this way? What do you think this is doing in renewing our minds if we begin to pray this way. It begins to take the view of God less and less and less like Santa Claus, that we're trying to be really nice and be on the good list so we can get what we want. And it's actually shifting our attention elsewhere. And it's putting the focus on God and saying, God, you're, you're the provider. You're everything that I need. And so, Lord, you're, you're my provision. You're my source Give us this day what we need. Again, this takes a focus off of us, and it is presenting our needs to God. It is positioning our hearts to recognize He is the source and that we need Him daily. In verse 12, Jesus said, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Oh, man, this is a powerful, powerful, powerful portion of this prayer. Because now we've magnified God, we've told God how big he is, how much we trust him, how much we recognize that he's the source. And now we're transitioning in this prayer to remind ourselves of our need for the gospel. Because we remind ourselves of our need and our position. And when you pray, remind yourself of the gospel. The gospel is us getting what we did not deserve. 
instead of us getting the punishment that we deserve because of our sin, no, Lord, forgive us of our debts. Wow, as we forgive our debtors. Forgive those who trespassed against us. Forgive us of our trespasses. Wow, you're reminding me, Lord, of my need for the gospel. My need that I can't forgive in the sense of I can't, I can't find forgiveness by my own attributes, by my own good deeds, by my own good works. I, I, I can't operate under a karma-based system that tries to outdo the bad that I've done to produce some sort of good result. That's not the way this works. No, it's just straight-up forgiveness. So, Lord, forgive me of my debts, and I realize, God, the things that, I, man, I could, I could never repay you for what you've done, Lord. So forgive me of my debts as, as I forgive those who owe me, those who I feel that they violated me and they, they owe me something, those that I want retribution for, the hurt and the pain that they've caused me. Lord, help me to forgive them because I recognize I need forgiveness too. Doesn't that put us in such a state of humility to recognize that those that owe us are in the same boat as us, that we both need forgiveness, and that we need forgiveness from God, and then those people need forgiveness from us because we need to give that what we've received? Isn't that a powerful truth that when we recognize that as a part of our praying to God, that we acknowledge our need for the gospel, that it begins to shape the way that we view ourselves and the way we view God? It's us saying, Lord, when we pray, we want to be reminded of the gospel. Ask God to show you, is there anything, Lord, I need to specifically bring to you to repent of? Is there anyone that I need to release and grant clemency to as well? Is there someone that I need to forgive? Is there something, Lord? Because I don't want to approach you and ask you for something that I'm not willing to give to someone else. Hello, somebody. How selfish of me would it be to ask God to do something for me and give me something that I wouldn't be willing to do for another? I'm asking God to treat me like I'm special. I don't want you to do it for them. No, I want them to pay. But I don't want to pay. So can you make me not pay and make them pay me back? But I want you to forgive me. No, it doesn't work that way. This puts us all on the same playing field. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter how rough of an upbringing you have. It doesn't matter how many numbers are in your paycheck. It doesn't matter how much you have, how much you don't have. It doesn't matter. We're supposed to... Say, Lord, forgive us and let us recognize our need for the gospel as we recognize our ability to live out the gospel by giving other people that same type of forgiveness. Christ followers, I'm going to make friends saying this, Christ followers should be the quickest to forgive other people and to give grace to other people. If we have the love of God in us truly, we can't help ourselves. We can't help ourselves but to forgive quickly. If we re- Listen to me. If we really have the love of God on the inside of us, we should not be able to help ourselves. Because if we have that spirit of God living on the inside of us, that love of God on the inside of us, it should be a part of who we are. It should not be something we do. It should just be a part of who we are. Have you ever met someone that's like crazy generous? I mean, like they're just really open-handed with the way that they live. I mean, really generous. There was a guy in our church in Oklahoma, 
And this guy, he owned a few hotels and had done really well in life, came from nothing and, and, and risked everything and built this hotel and ended up doing really well for himself. Now he owns a whole chain of hotels. This guy was one of our board members in our church, and this guy understood the position that he had been put, placed in. And this guy was always generous. He would always give my wife and I, you know, when I was a youth pastor there, he would give me almost every Sunday what we would call a holy handshake. You know what a holy handshake is? It's where someone shakes your hand and you go, there's something weird in there. And it was like a, a, you know, 50 bucks or 100 bucks or something. He would say, hey, I want to bless you guys. Go out to lunch on me. Take your wife somewhere nice. And this guy would do this almost all the time. And he didn't just do it with us. He did it with other people. He loved to bless people. He loved to just go around, and he tried to do it in secret. He didn't do it in a way where he, he tried to go around, and he tried to be as discreet as possible. Last year, my wife and I and our family went on vacation, and uh, when we went on vacation, we, we went to a bunch of different uh, amusement parks and stuff, all in Texas, and, and then up to St. Louis, and then up to Chicago, back home, and we hit them all. It was a lot of fun. It was a great family vacation. But since we were in that Texas, Oklahoma area, we thought we would spend that Sunday last year going to that old church. We hadn't been to that church in, you know, 10, 11 years, and we decided to go see some of our old friends at that church where we spent four years of our lives and where our son was born in that town, and uh, a lot of great friends there, and that guy was still in that church. And what do you think he did? He said, hey, good to see you. He comes up, shakes my hand. <laughs> Same thing he used to do. He hadn't changed. I love that type of generosity, but you know what he's doing? He understands what he's been given, and he feels like this is part of what he's supposed to do. He felt a call to, to bless young couples, to just give them just a little, I love you, I'm thinking about you. God bless you. And he had the ability to do it, and he took that seriously, and he just lived open-handedly. Anytime there was a need, this guy would just take care of those things as much as he could because he had such a big heart. There was no question with him because he understood that. He understood what he had been given. You and I have been given so much more than money could ever buy. Amen? We have been given forgiveness from God. We have been given reconciliation to where we were out of right standing. We were out of right relationship with a holy and perfect God, our creator. We were out of relationship with him. But because of Jesus, we have now been brought back into right relationship with God. If we've been given that much, who are we to try to hold on to it for ourselves and not give that away to other people? Who are we? Who do we think we are to be able to decide who gets forgiveness and who doesn't? Who gets love and who doesn't? Oh, you get forgiveness, but you, you really, you stinker. You did me wrong. And you're going to pay. No. That's not the way it works. And so listen, if we are really Christ followers, we should be the quickest to forgive. We should be the quickest to look to try to bring reconciliation because it should be a part of who we are. Just like that guy in Oklahoma, it was a part of who he was. He was the quickest to want to meet a need or to bless somebody. And he did it without even thinking. And you begin to go, wow, this is who this guy is. And he's so generous. And 10, 12 years later, still the same guy. Shouldn't that be the mark of us as Christians with the way we love other people? I think that it should. Because if we have the love of God, we shouldn't be able to help ourselves. And then Jesus said, when we ask for, when we, when we pray, he said, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Give us discernment. When you pray, ask for a greater awareness of the Holy Spirit in you. The Holy Spirit helps us to grow in discernment, to distinguish good from evil, and also things 
people and situations that we need to be aware of. Hebrews 5 and 14 says, But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And and delivering us from evil isn't always avoiding evil, but rather being able to discern things that may be traps or snares. When I pray, I ask God to give me wisdom, how to use my time. Uh, I try to pray this way daily. Because, man, there are traps and snares of misusing your time. Are there not? I mean, if we're not surrounded by distractions, how to use our time, my goodness. Everywhere we look, there's an opportunity to be distracted. So I say, when I start off my day, God, help me to use my time wisely. Give me wisdom. You said in your word that if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. So, Lord, I don't want to be tempted. I don't want to be ensnared by this thing that could distract me. So, God, help me to be focused. Help me to stay on point to accomplish the things you want me to accomplish this day. Help me to stay focused and and, and be on point with those things, Lord. I pray that daily. I don't want my time to be squandered away in selfishness or bad stewardship or even simple things. And things that maybe we wouldn't consider evil, but they can be snares that lead into evil. We need to be careful of those. Things that would keep us away from being productive with our families or our purpose that God's created us to live. Now, you'll notice that I didn't include the doxology in this prayer because my English Standard Version does not have the doxology in Matthew chapter 6 at the end of verse 13. Some translators have it and other other translations do not. So I had to do a little digging, and in the earliest manuscripts, it wasn't present, but scholars say that it would have been very uncharacteristic of Jesus or any Jew to not have ended the prayer with the doxology. That way the doxology uh, is worded at the end of Jesus' prayer. Uh, If you don't have that in your Bible translation, it's simply a common Jewish end to a prayer. Jesus may have said it. He may have not said it, but it was a common thing during that period, and there isn't anything wrong with the doxology. So don't think you had to throw away your Bible if it doesn't have it or does have it, where it says, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And it's a great line in that song, you know, for thine is the kingdom. (laughs) The important thing to know here that I wanted to let you know is that it just wasn't in the original manuscript. Um, from the earliest manuscripts that they have, but they did find some manuscripts that had it later on. So it, it's, it's really one of those things that we don't need to split hairs over. The most important thing with this message is when you pray. And that's the thing that I hope I've gotten across today. So in other words, pray. When you pray. I would encourage you to pray out loud, pray with your spouse out loud. We gotta get over this intimidation thing that the enemy has kept us bound with about praying out loud. I do believe that God does hear the intents of our hearts and our thoughts when we cannot pray out loud. And I do believe God hears those things. But there is something physiological that happens when you speak. Those of you who have gone through the trek, you will have learned that your brain, when they have tested people, your brain does not respond or light up to your thoughts but your brain does respond to your voice. When you speak, your brain will light up all over the place because there is something significant and powerful about you hearing your voice or hearing other people's voice. Thoughts are great, and I don't think there's anything wrong with those, but I would encourage you and challenge you to grow 
by taking that next step. Maybe this is your challenge today. To take that next step and pray out loud to where you can hear it. It doesn't mean God can hear you better. Because God knows the thoughts and intents of your heart. He knows. But I want to challenge you that it will help you grow and be strengthened as a Christian. I promise you, it will strengthen you if you pray out loud. So I want to encourage you to do that. I just want you to grow and invest in knowing the Bible more so you can pray more in line with the will of God. So you can know the things that please God. So invest. That's why we did a a whole thing about how to study your Bible. I taught that last week, and Bob Utley taught that five other times, and it's all online. Learn how to study the, the Bible. Learn how to study Scripture. Get into the Scripture so you can begin to see the heartbeat of God. So you can begin to ascertain what the heart of God is in various situations to be able to see what it is that motivates and moves the heart and the hand of God. And so we can begin to pray that way, that his kingdom come, that his will be done. And so we need to know the will of God. So speak and pray. Invest in knowing scripture more. Start somewhere and begin building and strengthening that prayer muscle. God's looking at the motive of your heart. Remember that. If we go back to the original intent of what Jesus was saying in Matthew 6, he's saying that the heart matters, the intent matters. We're not in a contest to try to outpray one another. We're talking to God. So here's what I want us to do. Can we just take a few moments as we end here and just talk to God? Can we just take a few moments and put this message into practice? And I hope you do this daily. I want you to start and end your day with prayer. Pray throughout the day when needed or when you simply want to talk to God. I hope these practices will help you to grow and guide you as you develop that prayer relationship with God. So I want us to just take a few moments. Let's just bow our heads all over this room. And I want us to just talk to the Lord. And, and I appreciate when we pray And you listen to me, and I think that's great, and you can agree with me when I pray out loud. Thank you for that, but that's not what I want us to do here. I want us to take a step out in faith, and let's just talk to the Lord this morning and put this thing into practice, not just be a hearer of the word, but let's be a doer of that word today. So, Father, we just come before you, and we want to magnify you. We want to lift you up today, Father. Help us to see how big you are. Help us to see how great you are. Help us to see how awesome that you are. Open our eyes, Father, the eyes of our understanding. Help us see how truly magnificent that you are, how you are bigger than anyone or anything else, God. How all of the challenges and how all of the frustrations that may come in life, Lord, they don't compare to how awesome and big you are. Lord, we pray today, God, that your will would be accomplished, Lord, here on earth in our lives as it is in heaven. Everything, God, that you have set out for us to do this day. I pray that you would help us to do those things, God. You would help us, Father, to be good stewards of the blessings that you've given us because we recognize you are our source. You have given us, Lord, everything that we need. And we ask you, Lord, to, to, to continually remind us that you are our provider, that you are the one who takes care of us, Lord. We want to acknowledge that before you today. And God, if there's anything in us that we need to repent of, show us, God. Show us the things we need to repent of and and help us, Lord, to not only ask for forgiveness from you, but show us that there are things in our lives that we're holding against other people so we can extend that grace and that forgiveness to them and live out the gospel. 
Lord, help us to be wise stewards of what you've given us and lead us not into evil or any, any, any temptation, God, that may come our way and try to get us off course, but help us to stay focused, God, in giving you glory and living for you. We want to honor you, Father, with our lives. We want to honor you with our prayers. And so, Lord, help us to be people of prayer. Help us to prioritize prayer today. Help us to be people who grow in praying. Help us to be people, Father, who are, who are living this thing out, who don't just say amen at the right time and, and sing the song at the right time and, and, and do all the things that we think we need to do to mark all the boxes, but, Lord, to genuinely and truly, Father, talk to you. I pray that you would challenge people, Lord, to step up and talk to you to pray out loud, to make themselves uncomfortable, to do something more. And I pray, Father, that you would just do this in our hearts today. Let today be a turning point of growth in each person's life, even those who are comfortable with praying. I pray, Lord, they would even be stretched today. Stretch us all, Lord, regardless of how comfortable we may be in our prayer life. Challenge us to get closer, Lord. Challenge us, Father, to go deeper. Challenge us, Lord to lift other people up before you and to stand in the gap and to be people of our word, who if we say we're going to pray for people that we do and forgive us when we've blown it and when we haven't, forgive us, God. Lord, we acknowledge that today and we just say, Lord, we trust that you forgive us when, Lord, we ask and we know that you have given us another opportunity to recognize, Lord, when we are making a commitment to follow through with that. I pray you help us all grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.